Welcome, fiends, to Handle with Scare, presented by the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Our show discusses horror movies and the phobias they emphasize. I am your host, Emily Drunk, and tonight we are continuing our Selenophobia deep dive as we take a look at the fear of the moon in horror movies. And uh, just a quick note before we dive right in, uh, be sure to join us over on Kick every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Pacific time for Twisted Tuesday, uh, which is when we will always be watching the movie that we'll be reviewing on the podcast that week uh, for our live recordings, which happen every Wednesday, primarily, uh, except for, you know, Obviously, we had some hiccups this week with the scheduling, but, uh, you know, typically Wednesdays, 7 p.m. Pacific time on that front over at kick.com slash Uh But, of course, as you can tell, I am joined once again by my co-host, Grindhouse Zombie. And Zombie, you know, we're a little late to getting around to this one. Uh, you know, we had a couple of conflicts pop up. Uh, you know, you and I have both rewatched the movie since Twisted Tuesday uh as, as well so like our experiences has kind of like grown in uh different areas on that front as well but you know just happy to be able to sit down talk about this movie and really just get down to the nitty-gritty here yeah absolutely this is uh, it, it's a really really interesting film um and it's interesting in well a number of aspects but there are so many parts of it that are what I would call low budget as hell. Mm -hmm. um, there are so many parts that are fantastic character development. And then there are so many parts that I don't even know what's going on. So um, it's, it's a crazy film. I mean, it's, it's definitely a good film. Now, and I know it's become like a cult classic. Um, and again, this was last uh, the last Twisted Tuesday was my first watch. So this was completely new to me, um, you know, and, and coming into this month in the, our fear of the moon. So that it was weird that this movie is because I believe it's 2002 is the movie. So and there are so many actors in it that you would recognize um, people from everything from Game of Thrones to Grey's Anatomy, you know, shows that could not be any farther apart in the spectrum if they tried. Um, but it's funny how many later movies, and I have a list, but later movies that I almost think pulled pieces of their artistic creation from this movie because I see them in it when I'm watching it now. I see... 28 days later, I see 28 weeks later, I see the girl with all the gifts. Um, so there, it's it, it's interesting that it's maybe not the most popular movie ever. And there's some reasons why, because it's got some problems. But it's super fun, and it makes me think of things that I know. So that's kind of a really, for, for its age, being 21 years old, 22 years old, it's... Um, does a good job of making me think of things that I that I know and that I love, so it, it makes me like it a little more. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, really at its core, it, it was a different take on the, the werewolf uh, genre in particular, because it, it kind of sets you in a position where you're allowing the audience to really rely on what they already know about pop culture with this specific genre, so they could just try to offer something that is different from the norm, something a little bit louder, maybe a little bit more gory compared to what we are accustomed to seeing uh, in regards to the werewolf. So I thought that was definitely an interesting thing, but, uh, you know, it, it really stems from, you know, Neil Marshall, who uh, this was his directorial debut. Uh, the, the movie he did after this was The Descent, which is uh, arguably probably oh. the, the best movie that he's done by far. Yes, uh, which one of the few movies that actually really triggers one of my phobias uh, with claustrophobia, <laughs> which completely different topic. But, um, you know, I just remember being just I was like on the edge of my seat, like really digging in my nails into like, you know, the the movie theater seat when when I watched The Descent for the first time. Uh, but to each yes. your own. But it's fantastic because. You know, this dates back to, like, 1996 uh, with Neil, Neil Marshall and the producer Keith Bell, and they kind of, like, made a pack together because they wanted to uh, do a feature of their own, which was basically a concept built off of having soldiers going up against werewolves. Uh, so, 
you know, you had Neil Marshall who had basically always wanted to do like a siege movie, a war movie, or, you know, something like military based, but then also combine it with his love of horror movies. And the end result is what we got here in Dog Soldiers, which, as you mentioned, was released in 2002. Now, with that being said, with the way that this story is structured, you know, if you are coming into this movie, like, within the first, we'll say, 30 minutes, mind you, uh, and if you were to, uh, you know, walk away and come back, you would probably feel like you were watching an entirely different movie because, you know, it really starts off with uh, kind of like the uh, the training sessions that are going on with this military group and there is a lot of jargon in regards to kind of like the band of brothers type aspect of the movie uh and then you know we later tread into uh total siege mode when we get to the third act of the movie which just feels wildly different compared to the earlier halves of the movie so I'm not going to say it's the most conventional way to structure the story, but it is a little disjointed in the fact that, uh, you know, I know one of my, my streamer friends had, like, poked in early on and had no idea what the hell, we like, I was watching at the time. Now, granted, he didn't look at the title, but, like, he felt like we were watching, like, an advertisement, essentially, when, when he got there because of, like, the helicopter shots uh, and, and whatnot, but... You know, it, it, it's just one of those things that makes me laugh because it's like I, I can completely understand like not really being able to uh, establish what is happening early on just because it is not like the traditional setup from what we're used to seeing here. Well, definitely. And so this this movie, honestly, it pissed me off and it pissed me off for two reasons. Um, the first one was sort of the wayward camper scene, which... Honestly, we didn't it we didn't need it. it. It didn't I mean, other than her mentioning that the blade she was giving him was made out of pure silver. I mean, that was kind of like your first royal tip off. Um but it was almost completely unnecessary and then the shooting of the dog. The shooting of the dog really made me like it really it really took me contextually out of the movie. Um you know, cuz I'm one of those people where I I'd, I'd rather kill 100 humans than a dog. I just would. Um, and I'd be okay with it every single day of the week. So, I mean, it, if that's what it took to pass the muster of these military tests, it's like, I don't think most people would want to be a part of that. Um, back to your point about the acts of this movie, the acts of this movie are really disjointed. Um, the, the first act feels like it takes about 10 seconds. The second act feels like it takes about an hour. And then we get to our siege part of the movie. And without a doubt, the siege is the best part of the movie. Um, all these people working together. They have the scouring the house for weapon scene. One guy's got like an electric carving knife. Another guy finds an axe. Another guy finds a sword. Like all these, like, like where the hell are they that they found all these things? Um, but there's some pieces of it early where you have, there's a guy who he's running through what looks like a Christmas tree lot with his gun and he's panicked and he ends up stabbing himself on a tree ranch. And it's like, I've been to the Christmas tree lot. That's never happened to me. Um, so again, the low budget piece of it, the cult classic piece of it, there's some things that are just like, when you take it as a total, um, I like this movie, but like I said before, it's got some problems where I just, I have a hard time shaking them interesting too because they do spend uh, quite a bit of time early on with you getting to know the characters which isn't something that's very common in the genre either so it did make it feel like the death scenes in the movie as uh, they do tend to escalate in regards to how gruesome they are in nature uh, but it did mean that the deaths were more meaningful uh, kind of across the board in this case, which was yep. nice to see. So you actually have a, a good idea of who everyone is in this movie before, you know, they are dispatched of later on, uh, at least like in the first act of the movie, before we go into the total siege mode, uh, which is essentially, you know, you got the last survivors locking themselves inside of the cottage, just trying to keep uh, essentially, you know, the circling pack of werewolves at bay uh, in this case. But, you know, this is also one of those movies that, uh, you know, if you look at the genres, there are several elements of action 
as well as horror. You know, it's not just straight out a horror movie. It's not just straight out an action movie. It does combine the two. It is more akin to something like, you know, a predator or an alien, where in this case, the werewolves are the enemy, just outright. And they're pinned against the humans, which is, uh, you know, great to see in this case. Uh, and, you know, uh, you know, unlike the traditional setup, too, you know, it's also just, you know, you got the army. So you got heavy gunners going up against a pack of werewolves. And the werewolves themselves in this movie are very distinct compared to the norm as well. Because, you know, they are very lengthy. They're tall. A lot of the yep. uh, a lot of the set building also plays it like a major factor in this, too. Because a lot of the sets were designed where you would have these werewolves who would basically have to, like, crouch down and duck in order to get inside the building. So it, it definitely uh, played with you know, just the, the perspective quite a bit as well to make sure, like, they were as hulking as possible. But I thought it was really interesting uh, to just knowing that, you know, you had, like, these really lengthy fingers. You know, they had kind of, like, oversized heads, uh, which was, you know, different from kind of, like, what we're used to seeing as well. But, you know, instead of having, like, stuntmen who were playing... Uh, you know, the werewolves in this case, you basically had dancers being put into the costumes for like 12 hours a day uh, because they were really trying to uh, make things a little bit more graceful in the approach with like how they were maneuvering, you know, in these costumes, uh, which, you know, at the end of the day, obviously, like they had the reasons for doing that. But I can only imagine, you know, things didn't really pan out quite the way that they were expecting to just knowing that. You know, you had these performers who were basically on stilts the whole time for, you know, 10 plus hours a day, uh, you know, on top of dealing with a lot of the rain and a lot of the conditions uh, in regards to, you know, the filming and everything just being like really soggy and damp and just just outright miserable in, in some aspects. Just being Scotland. Yeah, no, I think that I think you're right. The morphology of the werewolves was definitely was definitely interesting um and having them be more of a physically imposing creature i mean a werewolf in and of itself is going to be scary when it's eight feet tall it's it's way scarier at least in my world um the problem i had is that they took so long in like showing us a full werewolf right they they really waited till late i think was what is basically late in maybe the second act to give us a full-blown werewolf and it was more uh, we had a lot of time shooting at bushes and and like doing things like that and just getting little whispers and little like little shadows of the werewolves um but then again like we said when we started the siege then it was like all bets are off and i will say for a creature feature the the siege part of this is one of the best things that i've seen in probably the last 20 years it is so good um there are some points where it slows a little bit, where they give you maybe a little bit too much character interrogative. And it's like I, I, you kind of get to a point where, like, I know what's happening. So just like keep giving it to me. Um, but maybe that's also something for the era, right? Where, you know, 2002, maybe that's what we're doing. We're sprinkling a little bit more character in and just trying to keep keep things building. Um, so it actually does keep it pretty interesting. Yeah, and uh, I will say, too, um, you know, we were talking a little bit, uh, you know, before we were doing the podcast uh, about, like, some of the casting choices in this movie. And I know you, you know, were mentioning some of the other movies that uh, we have since seen some of these actors in. Uh, but initially, they had Jason Statham cast in the lead role uh, about, like, a year leading into the shooting of Dog Soldiers. But uh, he ended up passing on the role in order to uh, go... You know, act in John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars, and <laughs> you know, like I'm, I, I'm sure a lot of us have thoughts on that movie, because uh, <laughs> it's obviously not one of the better Carpenter movies out there. But uh, you know, I, I think in this particular case, probably not the best option. Uh, but in hindsight, you also had Simon Pegg, who was also offered the role of Spoon. Uh, in the movie, but he passed on it to go work uh, for Edgar Wright and Shaun of the Dead. So, you know, you kind of got both ends of the spectrum where, you know, for one person, it definitely paid off in dividends, and for the other, maybe not so much, because Goose of Mars is pretty damn forgettable. Well, but see, that's the... 
that's the fun dynamic of, of all this Hollywood nonsense and the decision that you make today may impact the life you have tomorrow. That's what that's what's like so fun about it. Um I mean and you know, Jason Statham, I mean, he is he's an interesting actor because he's done some things that I really like. Um I would reference the Transporter series. I like the Transporter series. Um He's also done some things that I don't necessarily get, like the mechanic. Like, I, like, okay, like, why? You know? Um, but I mean, you know, I'm in Peg, um, you know, and, and putting out Shaun of the Dead. I mean, this movie that we're watching or we're talking about tonight, Dog Soldiers, is, is built as a cult classic. Um, I mean, Shaun of the Dead is both a critical success and a cult classic. I mean, so that's like if 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 you want to have your your toe in the water or something, that's definitely where you want to be. Yeah, and Ghosts of Mars. Eh, yeah, not uh, not great. Um, Dog Soldiers is better than Ghosts of Mars. It is, um, and that is despite all of the weird problems that I have with it. And like I said, I've watched it three times now, and. My opinion on it hasn't functionally changed much. The siege keeps getting better. I keep picking up new things in the siege. Um but the characters they don't they haven't grown too much for me. Um there's definitely some Scottish babbling here that I can't understand at all. <laughs> like I like I don't know what you're saying. So <laughs> uh get it get it back to it. But yeah. So you know, it's like it's like early on. You know, we're 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 introduced to all of these characters, and there there is a lot of banter. And you know, I I understand the need for it, uh, but they were also trying to say like really true to the kind of like barracks talk that you would traditionally see like in these war movies. And uh, you know, obviously, I'm like I know that was what Neil Marshall was going for. You know, his dad was in the military, and I think it's like. His grandpa was, too. So they were really, like, trying to hone in on, uh, you know, the realistic aspect of that. But for, like, for someone that isn't really, like, in the know or maybe someone who isn't a fan of war movies, you know, that that first 30 minutes is really something that could uh, draw them, like, completely pull them out of the whole experience. Like, I, I know, you know, you and your reasons for... Um, you know, like, some of, like, the set design stuff in particular, uh, which was a little bit jarring in some scenes... But, you know, I, I it, it's so weird just having, like, that distinct differentials between each act. Because, like, really early on, you know, you really, like, don't know what the outside threat is. And, you know, they sprinkle in a couple of things about uh, werewolves in regards to the silver. But it's not necessarily, like, we're going to completely spell it out for you and hit you in the head with it. Like, we've seen time and time again with some of these other werewolves movies. So, like, on that front, like, I am especially thankful uh, for dog soldiers because not everything needs to be written on a wall. Like, we we all have a general understanding of, you know, what the weaknesses are of werewolves, how to dispatch of them. Uh, so, you know, I, I will always appreciate the fact that, you know, we don't always need to be spoon-fed information time and time again. It's like, okay, like, we, we've been here before. We kind of know what the general setup is going to be. Uh, you know, you don't need to just slap us across the face with it every time we turn around and just, you know, shove it down our throat. Well, but also understanding to your point about the the general um, weaknesses of, we'll call it the the werewolf, knowing that well stepping back yes that the first 30 minutes of the movie is so military heavy i can see why it would put people off like just not wanting like if you are not pro-military or even anti-military like i I can see you just going nope and just I, i don't want any piece of this um but then to your point about i think we all know the the lore behind a werewolf right and what its weaknesses are and whatever else there's something interesting um, about this whole thing where I know, even though I haven't been slapped into the face with it, you know, to use your term, that these guys really don't have anything to fight the werewolves with. Nothing that's going to actually work. All they can do is basically kind of fend off wave after wave of attack. They don't actually have a solution. Um, 
And there's a piece of that, you know, for all the fires that they start and cars that they blow up and everything else. There's a piece of it that actually keeps it interesting on the less on the horror level, but more on the action level where it's like, I want to see what they're going to do. Now, the one thing that it was off putting to me was the 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 kind of overuse of like the dog whining thing when they like were shooting through a window and you hear that it was like it just made me look and see if my dog was okay like it didn't make me like it didn't get me into the movie you know it was almost kind of too much um i think they could have used a better sound effect there something more of uh, to the point of not knowing or to or the point of knowing that they did not have something that they were going to be able to successfully kill a werewolf with, they should have used it more as like an amp up tool than a, a dying dog tool. The dying dog tool didn't really, didn't really work for me. Yeah, and talking a little bit about the kills in the movie too, um, you know, you had mentioned like the campers, uh, which, you know, it's at the earliest part of the movie. Uh, you know, they basically just get dragged away and ki- and killed uh, by the werewolves. Uh, you know, we, we also have people getting shot in the head. We have uh, disembowelment uh, from the werewolf, uh, which was, was pretty gruesome. And I, I remember, uh, to, you know, they were debating uh, with, with Dog in particular uh, when it came to, like, tugging on, um, I, th- I think it was a sergeant who was disemboweled in this case. But like he was bandaged up pretty pretty well, and like yeah, they literally stuffed his guts back in. They stuffed, yeah, filling out. Uh, And you know, initially they had like the dog like actually like pulling on the intestines, uh, but they they shied away from that in order to like tug on the bandage. But like the bandage was so bloodied at that point that you know there were still people out there who were like mistaking it for what it actually wasn't, and you know like the former, which you know makes makes sense. but, you know, I, I remember the first time I watched this movie, uh, and I watched it when it premiered, uh, this was not a U.S. theatrical release. Uh, this actually premiered on the Sci-Fi Channel before they ended up rebranded from, uh, you know, science fiction, the way that it's, like, actually spelled to, you know, S-Y-F-Y, which was fucking mm-hmm. stupid in its own right, but that's a completely <laughs> other tangent. Um, Seafy. Yeah. Watching Seafy. But, like, yeah. I, I, I remember, you know, hearing about this movie. It was getting really good reviews in the UK. And it's like, okay, like, what's happening with the US distribution? And the fact that, like, it didn't get a theatrical kind of tells you that, you know, the studio just didn't really have that much faith in the product, uh, which is a shame. But, like, regardless, this movie was still able to find its audience. Um, you know, I, I don't have, like, the numbers on how it did on, on a sci-fi channel, but that's always kind of wonky when it comes to, uh, I'm not going to say made-for-TV movies, because I don't know if I would technically pigeonhole this movie into that sort of category, even though, like, it did no, debut on I TV, would not. but it, nope. it's not like a Sharknado, you know, type situation, which is very yes. obviously a made-for-TV movie in, you know, just in comparison. But, you know, this movie still uh, did enough to, uh, you know, really get Neil Marshall's name out there. You know, it got him, like, his bigger project in The Descent, uh, which, you know, like, going back in his filmography, like, you know, I he, he's kind of all over the place. But The Descent is definitely, like, the, the prime jewel out of everything that he has done at this point. Uh, and, you know, I, I know he's done a couple of other... I think it did, like, Doomsday was after that, and uh, he also did uh, The Reckoning, which was kind of... Kind of mediocre. Yeah, uh, yeah. I didn't really care for that one. But but at its core, you know, like, he had an idea, you know, he, he, he made the movie that he wanted to make. It didn't seem like there was too much interference, uh, you know, from the studio, which was also great to see. Um, but it propelled him to bigger and better things and, you know, just going to the descent again. It's just like, I, no matter how many times I watched that movie, like I always consider it like one of the best horror movies to come out in like the last 30 years. Like it is still at like the damn near top of my list. Yeah. If you want a movie to be genuinely creeped out by, um, yes. And both the claustrophobia piece, and that has nothing to do with the subhumanoid creatures that are walking through. Just the claustrophobia piece gets me to, totally gets me to the, just the cave crawling and things like that. Um, my wife and I, um, on the north shore of Lake Superior, every 
maybe 10 years, the whole thing freezes solid, and they have a thing called the Apostle Island Ice Caves. My wife and I went and did that, <clears throat> like, and, like, we're prepared, and, did, and there were some spots where you had to shimmy through these little holes, you know, and so, you know, imagine me having to take off my pack and shove it through and then squeeze my fat ass through a hole in the ice. Um, and then you end up in a cave that's 200 feet long and it's ice everywhere. And the only light is the ambient that is coming from the little hole on the other end. As fun as it was, it freaked me the hell out. So, yes, Descent is one of those movies that gets me just on its premise. The creepy subhumanoid creatures that crawl around in the dark and want to kill your ass are a whole nother level for me. I, I, it, that's one of those movies that I watch probably once a year because it's so good. It is just so good. But it does freak me the hell out. It absolutely freaks me the hell out. And just her hand coming through the moss and coming up into the... Oh my god. I, I, it's That is the stuff of my nightmares. I mean, like, get down to my baser person claustrophobic underground subhumanoid creatures coming after me. I, there's nothing. Um, but so to your point, it's nice to see that Neil Marshall got his start somewhere. Um, and now as a horror movie fan, I can watch this movie dog soldiers and I can see the shortcomings. I can see them. Um, but it's not a bad thing. You know, it's, it's somebody who is a filmmaker is growing. Um, and there are so many parts of this movie. There's so many shots that are so fantastic. There's a lot that aren't, but I think that's how you grow as a filmmaker, right? And you get on to a place where you get to make things like The Descent, which was, I mean, The Descent is magical. It's absolutely magical. But, you know, for me to know that the same guy did this movie, um, it gives me a little bit more love for it, obviously. Um, but again, I think, and I think I said it earlier when we were talking, it's like there are so many things that I think other filmmakers stole from this movie. So many scenes. And a lot of it's one off. A lot of it has, a lot of it is, um, oh, our private who is somehow in charge of everything. Some of the scenes, there's a scene that is, he comes out and he has kind of a, a rattier like thermal shirt on and it's kind of ratty and there's a scene from 28 days later with Cillian Murphy that is it it's the exact same fucking scene it is literally the exact same scene and I think it's closer to the end but it made me think of that and then a lot of scenes from uh the girl with all the gifts I see from this movie um so call it what you want call it classic maybe people think it's a barf bag of a horror movie whatever else but other people ripped it off. I mean, and to me, that tells me that you made a great movie. You know, and then you you also have our, you know, our heroine here who's walking around in a white tank top most of the time and looking pretty sporty. So, I mean, that helps too. Yeah, and I, I remember watching the uh, the impalement scene uh, <laughs> with the tree lot. And of course, like, my mind immediately just went straight to Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Uh, oh, yes. Was, uh, yes. was the combination of that and also uh, spoof in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, which was coinciding with that because, you know, he was uh, getting chased by bees in this case on Tucker and Tail with, with a chainsaw <laughs> in hand just, you know, whirling everywhere. And then the college kid just, uh, you know, just impales himself on a tree. And, yeah, you know, what, a, what a fantastic piece that was, too. Another cult following movie that uh, came out. I, I want to say that was 2010. So that was pretty well after uh, Dog Soldiers had come out. But definitely, like, the first thing that that, that came to my mind, uh, you know, after rewatching it since then. Well, yeah, and like I said when we started, this movie was another one on my list that I think is very schizophrenic. Like, it doesn't really know what it wants to be. It's hearing voices from all corners of the room. Um, but at the same time, the one thing that it does with its schizophrenia is when it's when it's in its when it's off its medication and it's hearing voices, it hears them all the way, you know, and whether that's the full blown military and all the talking or whatever else, whether it's, you know, our guys kind of get it into our predator moment where we're walking through the woods and we don't know what's going on and then getting to the end where we have this siege moment because the siege moment 
for me as I mean I'm grindhouse zombie for Christ's sake. So a siege moment is a very zombie esque theme in a lot of movies. You know this is where we're gonna fight and and our private literally says that he's like we're making a stand we're gonna fight. Um, but it, overall it's still so well put together and it's so fun to watch that like all the little things and th- th- there's one particular scenes where I can't see the hand but I'm fairly sure someone just takes a, a handful of spent 9mm shell cases and just pours them out and they sprinkle across the floor it's the same scene where the guys at the front door kind of bear it and they keep changing the scene back and forth and it's so terrible it is so terrible it just it just makes me just go Guys, I could have done this better, but overall, the, the the quality of the movie is good enough where I can forgive those things. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There are definitely some like guerrilla filmmaking aspects sprinkled in here and there for sure. You know, you just got to make do with what you had. Uh, but I know, you know, last week when we were talking about the Howlin', you know, you and I were having a conversation on uh, practical effects versus CGI use in uh, you know, horror movies as a whole, but also with, with within the werewolf genre. Uh, and, you know, this is one of those movies that, you know, was mostly created out of practical effects. You know, there was very little CGI being used uh, in this case. So it was kind of like a combination of, um, you know, there was a lot of animatronics in regards to the costumes, which also uh, played a role. But, you know, Neil Marshall really focused on you know, just a story rather than having us look for, you know, just really shoddy CGI. And, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I saw the flash over, over the weekend, which was, uh, one of the reasons, like, you know, we, we were initially, uh, after we had proposed, postponed the show, uh, we're going to record last night, but then I ended up going to, uh, you know, the movies to see the flash and oh my goodness, like, uh, you know, if you want to talk about just, shoddy cgi just across the board you know i i am just gonna keep having flashbacks to yesterday and you know you know i i remember going in you know i i i don't know if it was a director or if it was a studio you know they were talking about how like the reason behind it was basically because of how the way the time is getting warped and i'm like that is absolute fucking bullshit like don't tell me that like at the end of the day, you would have had more than enough time to smooth out the edges, you know? Like, I, I hate when filmmakers, like, purposely got out of the way to be like, okay, I'm going to throw an excuse at you, and then that's just what we're going to roll with. That's the story I'm sticking to it, and, uh, you know, you, you can't honestly tell me that you, you could have done better. I <laughs> couldn't have done better than what was actually presented. So, like, when, when I see the use of practical effects, I'm like, oh, thank God, like... Because time and time again, there there are just moments in movies, especially on the CGI aspect in itself, that will completely pull you out of the movie. And that is especially true for made-for-TV movies, which we've seen time and time again, especially, <laughs> as we mentioned, on the Sci-Fi Channel. Well, yeah, I mean, the thing about the Sci-Fi Channel, and uh, I'll, I'll admit this, I'm always going to love it because of what it does. Mm-hmm. Because because it gives some guy who knocks on their front door and is like, hey, I can make a movie and I have a, I have a camera and I have 500 bucks. I, I'm like, I love that about them, that they'll just always give them a chance. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, and let's be honest, we've gotten the Sharknado series out of those. We've gotten <clears throat> I think we have um, both Day of the Dead. Or not, I'm sorry, not Day of the Dead. Return of the Living Dead. The last two Return of the Living Deads were sci fi releases. Um, so those were okay, but I mean, it's an, it's an outlet, right? You know, so I, like as a horror fan, I will always take that. I will always take more versus a minimal amount of good. I will always take that. Um, when it comes to things like CGI, I mean, yeah, CGI kind of is what it is. Um, but like the movie that we're talking about tonight, there was a bunch of scenes, a bunch of scenes where during the siege, they're shooting out of windows, right? And you see a guy, you know, an eight foot tall guy in a werewolf costume. You can see that somebody pulled him really hard with a rope. Like he like went flying backwards. Um, and as much as I know that someone's pulling him with the rope to my eyes, visually, 
it is still way better than trying to have him be vaporized off screen by whatever. You know, I still, because in my mind, somebody had to fall down and probably get a little bit hurt for that. And I, and I respect that, you know? Um, I mean, and, and even in this movie where we find out that our, call it our country maiden who is, who lives local and whatever else, when we find out that like, she's one of them, the practical effects, like even the teeth in her mouth, like are not great, but they're still great. If that makes sense. They're still just like, she's like, she opens her mouth and she's just got like teeth everywhere. And it's like, well, okay, maybe that's not perfect, but I appreciate the fact that somebody tried and they tried to do it without some sort of weird blurry effect on the screen. That just, because I mean, let's be honest with CGI. Anyone who's ever watching a movie anywhere, you can see it. It's not seamless. It's still, for all of our technology and whatever else, it's not seamless. And when it comes to movies that go out of their way to use practical effects, even if they know that maybe the average viewer is going to look at it and go, yeah, I could see that. I still like that better than somebody who sits down in front of a computer and does all this, to your point, smoothing of the edges, and it still looks like shit. You know? So it's like, you know what? I will take... I will take people working hard and sweating over a semi-effective effect to people just going, and I'm going to smooth the edges and do it. I'm going to move my mouse. And you still, it's still not as good as the best practical effect. And uh, I, I remember this is, this is going back a ways. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When it comes to CGI. Now I, I remember at one point in time when, uh, Wolverine had leaked online uh, with unfinished CGI. Oh. And I remember sitting down and watching it, and I'm like, well, one, I was curious. Also, I didn't have the highest expectations, knowing that it was kind of like a, <laughs> an origin story in this case, which uh, more times than not does not pan out to be all that great in itself. Uh, but I remember <laughs> watching it, sitting down, and being like, all right, I'm really curious to see, like, what the next iteration of this is going to look like. And then I waited, obviously, until it was uh, out on physical media and rewatched it in the movie, uh, which, granted, I didn't really enjoy Wolverine in the first place. Don't ask me why I watched it again. It's probably because I was drunk. Uh, when I remember <laughs> seeing, like, the finished CGI, and, like, I had to sit there for a moment, and I'm just telling myself, like... I honestly could not tell that much of a difference. And when something like that happens, it's it just mind boggles me. So, you know, to to the point of uh, using CGI, you know, it, no matter, like, how much post-production there is, there are always going to be these studios out there who are just going to take the shortcuts. You know, not every movie is going to put, you know, the CGI at the forefront because, like, there are movies out there that really push the boundaries, and, you know, I hate to use that as an example because I absolutely despise the fucking movie uh, for the actual story, but Avatar. You know, Avatar is by far, like, the the key example of this. You know, the technology is always getting pushed, and sure, by the time the movie actually releases, we're probably on to bigger and better themes, uh, and, you know, the constant, you know, pushbacks in regards to the release dates and whatnot, because Avatar 2 was probably the most delayed movie to come out uh, at, at this point in time that I, at least I can remember. Like, I remember at least eight different times hearing about the the release date shifting around uh, in, in this case. But, you know, it's like every time you go in and you see something like that, it becomes a spectacle. But then there there are other situations where it's just like, it, it just feels like a complete afterthought. So when I see filmmakers out there who are taking the approach uh, to really go out of their way to do the practical effects, like it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, if you, you can also take shortcuts when it comes to the makeup design uh, to hide some of the blemishes. And it's, it's a lot harder to find the mishaps when it comes to practical effects than it is the CGI, because, like, anyone can have an opinion about the way that the CGI looks in the movie. But it's a very clear distinction of whether or not it's effective at the CGI level compared to the practical effects where, you know, I'm always going to have a softer spot and be more lenient on movies that do offer, you know, 
primarily practical effects in this case. Well, that's the critical eye, right? And um, I know for me, for the number of horror movies that I watch, <clears throat> I think I have a fairly critical eye. I mean, and I'm I'm not an expert. I'm not, you know, I'm not Roger Ebert or whatever. But th the reality of, and I think we've talked about this before, um, you think about Dawn of the Dead 1978, the practical effects, right? Um, and then you think about Dawn of the Dead 2004 being remade, and it was mainly practical effects. You know, I think so. What Zack Snyder proved is that you can do a movie with practical effects. I mean, and I think we all know the, the, uh, like the stepping stone here or the tripping point here is that practical effects are expensive, right? Um, and you need to do retakes and reshoots and whatever else. But I think in the terms of practical effects, I think people start to learn things, right? And, they they build themselves in mechanisms. I will use the I will use the chainsaw scene in Dawn of the Dead 2004 as an example. They took a whole human being and cast her entire body in silicone, and then made a replaceable cartridge that went entirely through her body, so they could cut her over and over and over again. So yeah, super expensive, but on screen, it comes off great, right? Um, so, you know, for our for the movie that we have here tonight, Dog Soldiers, um, the practical stuff, while sometimes a little bit janky, like I said, there was a couple of rope pulls that were really obvious, but I would rather have that. I'd rather have that and be able to see it and maybe even in my mind pick it apart a little bit than I would like to have some, like, bullshit CGI effect where it's like I can totally tell... Um, and maybe there will be a time with, you know, AI coming out and all the things that we're doing that I won't be able to tell. But I also think that I have a human eye and I think I'm always going to be able to tell. Um, so I would rather somebody somebody uses a wad of toilet paper with some red food dye and some whatever else it is that they have handy and they try to make it effect versus try to trick my eye. Because I almost think that we've gotten to a point where as much as the people think the effects are better and whatever else, I think the human eye can see it, you know? So I think the human eye is the one thing that you're never going to fool depending on like how good you try to make it. Um, so it's like, I, I, I love movies when they do things practically and whether it's the monster, whether it's the heroine, the hero, whatever else, I just love practical things and I can forgive a lot of, seeing the wire or you know see, i can forgive so much of that just because somebody put the effort in yeah, this is also a movie that does rely quite a bit on uh on humor elements as well uh to you know break the tension uh in this case especially in like those bloody life or death moments that we have uh sprinkled throughout dog soldiers uh, oh god, a, a the course, gut scene. A, a lot a lot of it kind of stems from like the the dog aspect of the movie. <laughs> uh so you know at one point we have uh Cooper who is uh telling Ryan who is slowly starting to make his uh transformation like you, you know, sit. You know, stay yeah. put. You know, you also have someone yelling like bad dog as soon as, you know, they turned into uh, a werewolf uh but it's it's also great in the sense too that um you know like even from like the military aspect uh when when it comes to like the uh the, the rankings or just you know people who are kind of like on the lower end uh in the military you know a lot of them go by uh dog faces or dog soldiers in this case which, which ties in yep. perfectly to uh you know the name of the movie and uh the movie as a whole as well so that's pretty cool Oh, definitely. The, the one gut scene where he's talking about, they're not going to fit. And he's like, yes, they will. And it's like, well, um, I, from what I know about life and about the human body, like if if your guts are hanging out of the front of you, you're pretty well fucked, right? I mean, and I guess what kind of what I love about this and especially about like our private is that he has a very no quit attitude. Like he's just going to, he's just going to keep going. Right. Um, and he does everything that he can. Now, again, I'm going to say this, the, uh, 
the siege starts too early, but then also goes on too long. If that means, uh, yeah. But it, so, but I mean, it's it's still very very fun to watch, and it's got a very. I think I've, I've talked about the other movies. It's like there are so many other movies that it like it kind of takes part in, but there's also with the going through and trying to find things to use. There's a little bit of a Night of the Living Dead vibe for me, where they're just they're just trying to like find whatever they can to use to like fight off this whole thing, you know. But then like. You know, when he gets into his final battle in the end and he's just getting he's just getting his ass just kicked by this werewolf, you know, and he has to fight this thing. And there's this there are so many parts of this movie that are so good that the the little bits of bad parts, I can totally forgive it. I totally can because so much of it's so good. Yeah, I, I love the disembowelment too because you know you just see uh, Sergeant like Jesus, you know my guts are out, Coop, and he's like you know yeah. we'll, we'll just we'll just put it back in again, you know like you're yeah. gonna be fine. Yeah, and he's like yeah, they're not gonna fit. We'll make them fit, like because <laughs> that's how that works, right? Yeah, yeah, but, but I, I mean I, I I love too just the fact that you know when like during the siege uh, we have the the super glue scene to you know staple mm-hmm. someone back together which is definitely pulling from real life you know it it seems like that like everything doesn't always have to be like all right we're we need duct tape we need a macgyver the shit out of this scene in order to you know staple someone back together no sometimes it just is as simple as using super glue and pitching the skin back together again <laughs> oh i've done that i you know what i have a wood shop here i've done that more times than i can count where i've sliced myself and went shit and just yeah, there it is. Wrapped a little tape around it and just kept going. But I think that's the... That's one of the things that's great about this movie is that it has this... I, without trying to offend the world, it has this let's just work with what we have and not fucking complain about it kind of mentality. And that's what I love. It's like, okay, shit went wrong. That's great. Things are wrong. But I can fix it and I can keep going versus stopping and just going, oh, I have a boo-boo, you know, and it's, it's kind of because this this whole movie is starts out as kind of an oh, I have a boo-boo. But then they just are like, well, you know what, we'll just we'll just staple that shit shut and we'll just keep kind of keep on going. And I, I love that about this movie. Absolutely. Um, Let's see. I'm trying to think what else I had in my notes. Yeah, I will admit that my my notes are definitely sparse, we'll call it. But there are um, one of the funniest, the funniest scenes in this entire movie um, is when Ryan is upstairs and he he needs to be sewn back together. And his general anesthetic is a punch to the face. And the guy does it one time and he's like, come on, you fucking pussy. And then he, and then he punches him again like... Well, I I hope I'm never in that situation where I, my general anesthetic is being punched in the face because I don't think I'd last long. I it just kind of is what it is. But that movie, th- that moment was particularly funny to me. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, you know, you you don't always have to deal with uh, you know the pain <laughs> when it, when you're alive in that scene because it it was going to be really hard for him to deal with. But yeah, definitely one of those moments that you know, looking back, it's just like. Yeah, you know, you, you gotta hit someone hard enough to, like, really knock them on their ass in this case, so, uh, good, good to actually have someone there to, uh, do the double tap in this case, case, which, uh, you know, again, kind of a trope in, uh, zombie movies as well. Yep. But, uh, you know, I, I also appreciate the fact that, uh, you know, this, this movie really just has, like, the, the motif of, like, you know, classic fairy tales, you know, I'm thinking primarily of, like, Little Red Riding Hood in the sense that, uh, you have Sergeant Wells, who does actually name drop uh, Red Riding Hood. Uh, mm-hmm. Bruce is kind of like strained from the beaten path and uh, immediately gets picked off. Yes. And then you also have Megan, uh, who you mentioned, uh, who turns out to be the werewolf disguised as a human. Uh, you know, you, you also kind of have like a Goldilocks element where you have like these soldiers who are basically looking to find, uh, you know, they find food on the stove and they end up helping themselves. And then, you know, you have... Uh, Cooper <laughs> mockingly comparing them to, uh, like the werewolves to like the the three bears as well. <laughs> oh yeah, through the whole movie they do that. Yeah, and the 
the porridge is too cold thing definitely was something that was like like really good. but again it that i think is what makes this movie a cult classic because as much as it may not be a great creature feature maybe it's not it is it's so well filmed and it it pulls in from so many different things that if you're paying attention you'll think a little bit and it, there are things you could pick up from all of the different fairy tales. I mean, Goldilocks is definitely in there. The three bears I had not picked up until you said it, but now that I think about it, yeah. Um, um, there's also definitely, when it comes to the siege, there's definitely a three pigs element to that, too. So, I, I, God damn you, you. You fucking did it again. You made me fucking love a movie that I didn't think I liked. Why do you keep <laughs> doing this to me? Damn it. <laughs> I mean, God, I, it's uh, just part of the appeal about podcasts, you know? Oh, well, absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, that's the that's the whole point, though, is like stopping to think about some of these things and and maybe not trying to be super judgmental about the effects and the whatever else. Maybe more trying to let a movie in and let it like kind of get to you. And then when you do that and, you know, you take your average logic as a person and the things that you know, and once you're there, it's like, huh. Well, shit. Okay, yeah, and this movie, and, you know, the one of the things about this one that I thought was, I started out thinking that the word was interesting, but I ended up going with more compelling was sort of the final fight okay. between, the, b- between the private and the werewolf. And... Again, it's one of those maybe, and it's kind of where it comes from, but it's like the average, maybe not the average, but like this fairy tale finale where he goes from stabbing him with that little, that little saber, that little sword from the beginning, from the campers. But then he also somehow blows the werewolf's head off with a 45. And something about that, oh, you're speaking my language, you know? So, um, yeah, dog soldiers, man. Um, and then honestly, walking out of the door, and he still has the dog with him. I mean, you just there's nothing better than walking out your front door. And you got a sheep dog with you, and you know your entire surroundings are just like smoke and ashes, but you're alive. And I don't know, this movie is a, a, almost borderline a metaphor for life. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Yeah, and one of the other things that's like kind of sprinkled in throughout is kind of like this the stain of having to do like this uh training exercise uh when there is a major soccer game going on or football in this case between England and Germany. Uh, and like it even ties it together at like the very end of the movie because you know as the credits are rolling we do have uh this newspaper uh, article showing the result of yep. that, which England, England five, Germany one. <laughs> yep. And then, of course, uh, <laughs> beside that, you also have uh, a picture of Cooper uh, going into like the details of like what had happened here. I uh, read the headline of, you know, werewolves ate my platoon, <laughs> which uh, well, was yeah. very touch. But I, yeah. I, I, I'm always glad when a movie will like circle back to that when they make such a point in different scenes to, like, bring up the fact that it's like, man, I don't want to be doing this. I just want to be at home having a brew and, you know, watching the the footy game. <laughs> well, and I think that's... That's one of those brilliant things where you know that uh, the people that made the movie tried really hard to make a good movie. And they probably knew that there were some places where they did a great job and some places where they didn't. But they also knew that kind of the overbearing tone of the whole thing is that in our heads, we're all thinking about something else, anything. Uh, so it's like, yeah, I mean, and the the um, England 5, Germany 1 thing takes me back to um, a movie called Eurotrip. Are, are you familiar with Eurotrip? Yeah. yeah, when I saw that, it actually made me laugh out loud. Like, like I just was like, oh my god, okay. So, but I mean, again, I... Contextually, for a horror movie, this thing definitely has its problems, but I can also see, and pretty easily, to be honest, why it has become a cult classic. Um, 
it has a lot of things that I think, and you made the point, all of us can understand where it's like, even, even if we're in the military and we're on these training exercises and doing whatever else, it's like, we've all got something else going on. Right. But so I think for me, this movie ends up being more about almost more about whatever demons you might be fighting than necessarily a werewolf movie. It just happens that they manifested as werewolves in this movie. Um, but you know, demons are demons for everybody. And in the end, I, I dig this movie. I, you know, I, there's, there are so many things to love and you have to get, you have to get past the little, the little hiccups that the movie has because, you know, and you know, to know that we went from here to the descent just makes this movie better. It honestly does. Yeah. Cause I mean, that was definitely, uh, uh, a leap i mean there's no other way to 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 put it um but yeah definitely great to see you know the girl in paints lead into something that um is looked back upon very fondly at, at this point in time and to see him just go on and just do absolutely amazing things after uh now yeah. granted there was a retreat to that after the fact um but you know not everything is going to be knocked out of the park you know we see growing pains with every director out there i mean hell we were talking about john carpenter earlier and ghosts of mars definitely uh one of the more forgettable ones out of his entire uh filmography uh in in this case um but you know in, in regards to uh the werewolf aspect of the movie too you know we we talk about how uh, you know, like it really makes us use our knowledge of werewolves, like, like taking it for face value and us already having like a general understanding of it. I, I just I love the fact that, you know, we didn't have like that foreboding type curse set up, you know, what what like we're so used to seeing in some of like these other werewolves movie. Uh, so whenever we're in a situation where it's like, OK, we're going to offer you something completely different uh, where. You know, we're we're not going to treat the audience like they are dumb, <laughs> like some movies do. Um, and, you know, this movie, like, sure, you know, we, we kind of had our lulls, you know, the, the a lot of the military jargon did like still gets lost on me just because like I'm not super familiar with that. Like, I really don't go out of my way to watch a ton of the war movies. Uh, and, you know, part of that is just due to the fact that it's like. You know, we, we always hear about Doomsday and, you know, just the, social media just being a complete cesspool and the way that people act online uh, really, like, adds mm -hmm. to that. Like, I don't want to turn on the news and, like, completely, like, take me out of, like, whatever vibe I got going out on at the time. So, like, whenever I do watch a war movie, like, I, I am always, like, on the edge, like, saying, like, oh, man, like, I, I just can't deal with this. So... At least, like, in this aspect, it wasn't, like, full-blown to the point where it's, like, I I need to just do something else than watch this. Um, but, you know, I, I appreciate the fact, too, that, uh, you know, it didn't focus entirely on that throughout. You know, it, it did it primarily just so, uh, you know, we, we were introduced to the characters. We really had an idea of who they were. And sure, they were dispatched. But by the time we actually get to the siege uh, moments of the movie, it's like, okay, you know, we, we kind of had our, our, our early lull. It's kind of like landing the helicopter, you know? You, you kind of have to, like, slow down <laughs> until, like, you're, you're stable on the ground, and then, you know, you just you take off again. And when it hits the siege, it's just like, man, like, things are really starting to pick up. Like, I, I really appreciate the whole... You know, scourging for weapons. You know, you have to make do with whatever you have available to you. You know, you're looking with anything that has like a pointy end, or or any way to uh, maybe like set up a booby trap within the cottage too. You know, you're barricading yourself in. You know, you're you're you know nailing the window shut. Uh, in this case as well. Um, but but all in all, you know, re regardless of some of the movie's downfalls, this is still one that I'm going to look back at and I'm like, man, you know, you can see the major influences. Yeah. And, you know, for its time, it was definitely one of the more drawn from movies, uh, and especially uh, at least the ones that we've talked about on the podcast here so far. Oh, definitely. And I think uh, to what you said about, you know, the scrounging of supplies and things like that, 
The funny part about this movie is they actually did it twice. And that usually doesn't work in a movie. Usually it usually that kicks the pace off kilter and it doesn't work. Um, but this they did it. They did it really well, um, but in two different tones. They had it one in the military tone. Let's get ammo. Let's get flares. Let's get a radio. Do whatever else. And then was the second time was more. And that was when the siege started. We're in a house. Let's find what we can find. Do whatever else. And that to me was kind of like the night of the living dead's ground scene. Um, but again, I'll say this, watching this movie now and knowing all the thousands of horror movies I've watched, there were movies that stole from this. I mean, and that's like, to me, that's like the best compliment you can be paid. We stole from you, whether it be your storyline, whether it be your, your your single line of dialogue, whether it be like a, a, a background motif, whatever else. People stole from this when they made other movies. And that, to me, says something. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on that note, though, I don't really have anything else uh, in my notes. Now, it's definitely pretty light on this movie, but like, uh, you know, at at the end of the day, like, it, definitely one of the more influential pieces uh, that we have seen. Uh, I know next week, I, like, I'll be honest, Grind. I was like, I don't think I fully watched the next movie we're gonna be talking about. I know Silver I've definitely seen a lot of pieces oh. from it, but I don't think I've actually seen oh. the full feature. I have seen this movie probably 30 times. Um, first of all, it's got one of the Corys in it. You really can't go wrong there. Um, werewolves, you can't go wrong there. Uh, early 80s Stephen King, you can't go wrong there. I mean, it's it's just got everything you could possibly want. Um, yeah, growing up as a kid, this was honestly one of like my go-to horror movies. Um, so I will definitely, I mean, I've already, uh, to be perfectly honest, I've already started my notes. Um, so, um, but yeah, I'm, I am definitely looking forward to watching it tomorrow as a group. I think that's going to be super fun. Um, cause it's a super fun movie, but I, I, and I think people will have things to say about the time and, you know, uh, uncle red and everything. I mean, there's going to be lots of things that people are going to have opinions about. So I think it's going to make it fun. Um, but as far as horror movies go, it definitely has that that eighties panache to it, right? And I, it's it's honestly just so good. It's so good. It's you know, it's one of those movies. Um, you know, and it comes from the Stephen King story cycle of the cycle of the werewolf. Um, but I, I, it's I think I think you know me at this point. I I, I have both a hard on for the eighties and a hard on for Stephen King. So. Um, I'm just going to take those two and turn it into the best piece of twisty bread that we've ever had. It's going to be fun. I can't wait to talk about it. It's going to be awesome. So just as a reminder, guys, we'll we'll be watching the silver bullet here on twisted Tuesday on kick. That will be at 730 PM Pacific time. Uh, And then we will do our uh, discussion of it for the podcast on Wednesday. Uh, So pretty quick turnaround. So we'll be live on the channel for, you know, three consecutive days at that point. Uh, but, you know, we'll be discussing it Wednesday, 7 p.m. Pacific time uh, as we, you know, get back on uh, on schedule at this point in time, uh, barring anything popping up or bursting or anything that uh, else could uh, be a little bit of a <laughs> disruption, uh, which, you know, you, you, you hate to see because, you know, I, I remember when we were talking, I'm just like, oh, shit, like, I know he's not in the right mindset to, like, actually be sitting down to, like, watch this movie. So, you know, I'm glad we had a little bit more time to, like, let things breathe uh, in this case. So, uh, you know, we could come in with a fresh mindset uh, as well. well. But that happens sometimes, you know, and, and I, I know from my work with uh, the nightclub that that does happen sometimes. Sometimes you watch a movie and maybe your dog is sick or maybe uh, your car broke down or what, and it just, it like takes you out of it. And sometimes you just don't like the last, the first time I watched this, I watched it through and then, but it was with handle, but we were kind of late getting going. And then it was like, I had to go to bed cause I knew I had a meeting in the morning and it's just like fucked everything up. Right. Um, so when I was able to go back to it, the first time I went back to it, I was like, huh. and I was watching this and it was like, this is terrible. And then I watched it again, and I'm like, okay, this this was not as ter- this isn't terrible. I, I had to watch it again, and then I watched it again, and I'm like, and the third time was when I was like, oh my god, I see 
28 days later in here, I see the girl with all the gifts. I see the Night of the Living Dead, a little bit of Evil Dead stuff in there. I mean, and it was like, so you have to be able to like, just kind of give yourself a mental purge and just be like, watch the movie, enjoy it for what it is. If you want to be harsh, go ahead. I think we're all fine with that at this point. But it's like, give it a fair shake. And so, yeah, I had, it took three t- three watches for me to give it a fair shake. And once I did, it was like, okay, I see it, you know? So, ultimately, I'm okay with that. It's awesome to me. Absolutely. So, with that being said, let's uh, go ahead and wrap things up for tonight. So, again, guys, join us every Tuesday on kick.com slash drunk for Twisted Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. And we'll always be watching whatever movie we will be discussing on a podcast, which uh, airs every Wednesday uh, live at 7 p.m. Pacific time. Of course, I've been your host, Emily Drunk, joined, as always, by my co-host, Grindhouse Zombie. And uh, we hope to see you guys back tomorrow when we are watching Silver Bullet and uh, whatever other shenanigans ensues in chat, because it's always a pretty good time. (laughs) And you just, you never know. There's definitely a lot of uh, unfiltered aspects uh, within uh, the community. <laughs> leather chains, foot fetishes, and all kinds of other interesting things. And then, you know, in the end, just for this month. <laughs> and on that note, guys, you have a good night, and we'll see you tomorrow. Take care. <laughs>